You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. Good evening, guys. Um, we used to have this toy. I threw it away, though. Uh, which we're probably, I think we did. I think it, we left it outside, and it was annoying. It was a, this baby walker, and when you pushed it, it would make uh, saxophone music, and it was very annoying. And I mean, now it's cute to think since I've thrown it away, and our kids are like a tiny bit older now that they wouldn't want to play with it, so kind of sentimental. But really, it was kind of annoying. Now, that was our baby walker. I think uh, you guys have the little baby walkers for your kids. I think some people had the circle one. Uh, you could put the kid right in the middle and they just go walking through it. And I think most of us had that with our little kids, had that baby walker. I don't know if they've been popular for a long time. But uh, if anyone was from Canada, and maybe I shouldn't be speaking for Canadians, if any happen to listen to this, they can call me out on it. But according to the internet, in Canada, uh, baby walkers are illegal, that they stunt uh, baby development too much, so you can't have a baby walker in Canada. Apparently, you know, that's just what the internet says. I don't know. Uh, but according to the internet, that's, and I'm gonna go with it because, you know, most of the stuff on the internet's true, I would say, right? Uh, but it's illegal to have that baby walker in Canada. So, in America, should we not have baby walkers? No, this is America. It's freedom, right? We can have our baby walkers. We don't have to listen to Canada's rules. It's Canada's rules. Canada's rules, not our rules. We can have the, all the baby walkers we want because this is America. That's part of it. There's a ketchup. Let's do another like common experience. Ketchup in the school cafeteria. In America, that's like a vegetable. I think they include that. They, they, by regulation, they have to have a certain number of fruits and vegetables at every school lunch. And I think ketchup can count. Like I'm not, I, at one point it could. Yeah, I'm not a school, uh, chef. I'm not a lunch lady, but pizza counts as a vegetable. And, but ketchup is like, oh, I think it's probably borderline. I'll just go because it's mostly tomatoes, you know. And so it's all over the school cafeterias here. Not if you go to France. In France, uh, they've outlawed ketchup in cafeterias because Again, according to the internet, uh, because it, they want to preserve French cuisine and ketchup is not French enough. Uh, I think the only time they allow it is with French fries, you know, ironically. Uh, but you can't have ketchup in the French cafeterias at school because it's not French enough. So here in America, should we not have ketchup in our cafeterias? No, because this is America. We can have ketchup in our cafeterias if we want. We don't have to listen to France's rules. What about mullets? And now I'm going to, just because it goes on the radio, I can say, like, every guy in here has a mullet right now. It's the greatest church because we all wear mullets. And if if you have a mullet, that's great. Yeah, that's great. You can have a mullet all you want. Not if you go to Iran, though. If you go to Iran, uh, 
I don't know what they do exactly. They're not, I don't think they'll throw you in prison, but they'll cut your hair. Hey, the mullet was deemed to Iran too decadent for their culture. So you can't have a mullet there. So should we get rid of mullets in America? No, because there's America. We can have all the mullets we want. Freedom, right? What about drugs? Yeah, who has drugs? No, okay. <laughs> who has drugs? Uh, in, with drugs, though, in Saudi Arabia, drug traffickers are beheaded in public. Like that's the penalty. Here in America, not so, not so harsh. In Iran, if you are caught with marijuana, you get 70 lashes. That's your punishment for marijuana over there. In Malaysia, you get a mandatory death penalty if you have uh, over seven ounces of marijuana. Here in America, hey, that's becoming legal in a lot of states. So should we listen to their laws because that's how they have it? <laughs> yeah, death penalty for seven ounces of pot. I mean, I, that's, you know, maybe a little extreme. Now, we, we don't know. Here's the point. Point number one is America, freedom. Yeah, that's a side point, though. The real point is this. Yeah, it's, it's that we can have these things. We don't have to listen to other countries' laws. Because we're our own country, we're our own nation with our own laws. We don't have to abide by those rules. Just because Canada has it a certain way, we don't have to have it that way here. Now as Christians, I mean here's how the Bible ties in here. It's okay, we're, we're Christians. And the Bible says that where we are citizens of as Christians is heaven. In Philippians 3.20 it says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so it's spelled like literally right there. Our citizenship is in heaven. That's our true country. Now we are born as sinners into this world. And that's our native country is this world. But Peter talks about us a lot as being, being uh, exiles or pilgrims or sojourners or travelers. He uh, uses that language to describe us because we've given up our citizenship in this country to be citizens of the heavenly country. And that we're born in sin in this country, into this world where Satan is the lowercase ruler or lowercase god of this world. That's ruled by the principalities, powers, all that. And we're born as sinners here, disconnected from God. But when we are convicted of our sin, when we realize that our sin separates us from God and we are guilty of our sin, our old man, the Bible says, is put to death. We say that guy who wants to live for himself and is selfish and is sinful, that guy is dead. I am raised in newness of life with Christ. So what happens when we put our old man to death is we renounce our citizenship to this planet. This is not my home country anymore. I'm not a citizen here. My citizenship is now in heaven. And now that's the way that Peter talks of it. That's why he calls us Pilgrims in the New King James, other translations, exiles, sojourners, it's all the same thing. Literally means a stranger alongside. And where we are as Christians, we are citizens of heaven, not of this earth. Which means, just like I was saying, if we're Americans, we don't need to listen to Canada's laws. That's not our country. As Christians, that's the law we are concerned with. That is the the king we are concerned with is Jesus. And not the rules of this world necessarily, except when those intersect. Now here's where this becomes the problem though. I mean, that's what, that's what we say as Christians. We're citizens of heaven. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for to be in that kingdom. And our king, our ruler is Jesus. We don't though live like Jesus is our king. 
We very often do not live like Jesus is our real king and we're really citizens of that country. We get very entangled in the stuff going on here and we get kind of following those laws and expectations rather than our king Jesus is. And here's how, here's how we know, I'm mean, just in a general sense, and we'll dig into it tonight, is there's some things Jesus told us specifically that we should do. Not just should do, not just suggestions, but things we are to do and we don't do them. Like Jesus said, here's a commandment for you guys, love one another. Jesus told us to do that. He's our king. If he's our king, we're going to strive to love one another. Okay, we're going to do it because if we have a king, an earthly king, we're going to, for the most part, listen to him, even if we don't agree with it, because we realize what he says is law. And when Jesus tells us to love one another and he's our king, we ought to do that and not take it lightly. It doesn't mean we're perfect, but it's, we don't take it lightly. Jesus tells us to repent, to turn from our sin and turn towards him and not run after sin, but run after him. He tells us to do that, but we don't, we don't listen all the time. Jesus tells us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's what our king tells us to do. Do we do it? Our king tells us to follow him. Do we follow him? Now, he also tells us some things we're not supposed to do. Yet we do them. This is what our king says. Our king says, don't lie, don't covet, don't lust. He tells us to do not do those things, yet we do them. He tells us not to judge, but we judge. He tells us not to be divisive and create division, yet we do that. He tells us not to honor the commandments of men above God, but we do. And I just said, because if we'll follow civil law, even if we disagree with it, but we won't follow God's law because it's inconvenient, we're honoring the commandments of men above the commandments of God. Reigns, well, my point is, okay, before we, we dig in here, this is our mindset to go in. If I'm an American, I'm not going to live by Canada's laws. They don't apply to me. If I'm a Christian, I'm not going to live by the world's laws. I'm going to live by what my king says. We need to live like Jesus is the king and we live by his laws. Now before we start, before we go in, I I want to clarify so I don't have to stop myself and do it a hundred times. When I talk about Jesus' laws, I'm not talking about salvation by works or anything like that. And this these things so often get confused. Whenever we talk about as Christians living a certain way or with expectations, you know, it's, oh, legalism, Pharisee. It's none of that. Hey, what we are saved entirely by the grace of God. Hey, it's we are forgiven of the breaking of His law by the death of His Son, Jesus. Hey, there's no law we can follow that gives us salvation. The law condemns us. And we'll talk about that tonight. The law condemns us. But after we are saved, we're not continually saved by our works, but if we're truly citizens of a country, we live by those laws. And there are things Jesus told us to do. It's not a legal trip or it's not a legalism thing. There's stuff that Jesus says we ought to do because we're in His kingdom. We're His brothers and sisters. We're children of God the Father. We're going to read tonight, we don't use our liberty as a cloak for vice. We don't sin so that grace can abound. Hey, there are things we do in our lives if we're truly born again. And if Jesus is our king, and we can look at our lives and say, is he really my king? Do I really live like he's my king? There's two sort of specific areas we can look at. It's almost like a litmus test. Like, are we really doing that? 
And Peter's going to talk about tonight is the government and our workplace. Hey, the point, we're going to look at those two things. It's in Second Peter, starting at verse uh, 13 of chapter 2. If, is Jesus really our king? We look at how do we respond to the government? How do we respond at our workplace? And what we'll see is that because we are citizens of a kingdom where Jesus is king, we need to live as citizens of that kingdom in public and at work. So this is a sort of a heart check for us. And we're going to think about this. And do we have a mindset of our true citizenship, our true king? Or are we too entangled in earthly pursuits? So let's read the verses, uh, verse 13, chapter 2 of 1 Peter to the end of the chapter. And then we'll dig into that. It says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And this is the word of God. So in Peter here, it's all about living. How do we live as Christians, as citizens of the heavenly country, as wanderers through this earth? And he's talking about the, the two things, the government and our workplace, as a way to see who's our true king. And as we look at the government first, that's the first chunk we'll look at. What he tells us is our relationship to the civil government. As Christians, the first thing Peter tells us is to submit to every ordinance of man. In verse 13 and 14, therefore submit yourselves, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. They were to submit to every ordinance of man. That sounds fairly demanding, you know, pretty, pretty tough. Let's think about that. Right? Jesus tells us, he's our king, right? And he tells us, he says things like this, lay down your life, lay it down. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. He says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow him. He says stuff like that. He says it quite a bit. Deny yourself, lay down your life. Now, I don't think we can say that we're doing that if we're not submitting to every ordinance of man. Right? When, whether it's we're 
blatantly not following laws or when we're just whining about the laws that are being made. I don't think we're submitting, we're laying down our life for people. Let's think of what this looks like, what Peter's talking about. Here's the political situation that Peter's writing to. The Roman Empire is in charge. The Roman Empire is oh, <clears throat> almost at the height of its power and it's covering most of the Mediterranean area. And one of the ways the Roman Empire stayed in charge was that it let local places keep their own traditions and their own religions and their own sort of little laws as long as ultimately they're submissive to the Roman Empire. And as long as Caesar or the emperor was worshipped as highest God, right? And they could keep their own little gods, but he was worshipped as the highest God. And now at this point when this was written, there wasn't an entire persecution of Christians yet, most likely. This was written in the mid-60s probably. And there wasn't empire-wide Like, let's persecute the Christians. That hadn't started yet. But there was small-scale persecution happening. There were people in the churches that Peter was writing to that weren't there anymore because they were in prison for not worshiping Caesar as supreme because they had been killed. Like, that had already started on a small scale. The emperor, who was emperor at the time, was Nero, who's famous for killing Christians because he blamed them for starting the fires in Rome, which probably he started, but Christians were a good scapegoat. So he started slaughtering Christians in Rome. He was the emperor at the time, right, when this is written. So you can imagine that kind of situation going on today. Let's say, you know, the, the British Empire rises up again, and the British Empire takes over America, and we can still keep our little American stuff, we can still have ketchup in our cafeteria, we can still do our American things, but the one in charge, really in charge, is the queen. And we can still go to church and we can still have our, you know, little religion things and we can still have Jesus. But the queen, you know, she's, she's a goddess. We got to worship her too. And some of the people here, or who used to be here, I should say, are not with us anymore. Not because they left for another church or anything like that or they moved, but because they're in prison for being a Christian. Some have maybe been killed for being a Christian. We get this letter from Peter. Hey, Peter's going to encourage us. Hey, we're having a hard time with this British government telling us what to do and not letting us worship Jesus. He says, submit to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. If we think of that, in a government much worse than ours, that's what he's telling them to do. Because it has a purpose. It's in verse 14. Its purpose is for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. In Romans, it calls the government a a blessing that for the most part, God has entrusted civil governments to keep law and order. And so Peter's telling the people, hey, you you listen, not just listen, but you submit, you put yourself under that authority. Hey, and and sometimes the, the whining that we do about political things just has no place. If our kingdom is in heaven, we shouldn't care so much about the little like laws and stuff that aren't going our way when we're losing our political influence in this day and age. And oh, the White House is lit up in rainbow colors and crying about stuff like that. People are protesting, blah, blah, blah. Who cares? That's our concern is the heavenly kingdom where Jesus is king. That kind of stuff. Just submit, lay down your life. That stuff doesn't matter to us. He says what should matter is verse 15 and 16. This is the will of God. Not to break laws, not to whine. This is the will of God. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 
as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Hey, the will of God is that we do good. That by doing good, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. And so often, it's the other way around. That our foolishness is put to silence, and we're the ones who look ignorant, because we're whining about stuff we shouldn't be. We're involved in stuff that really don't matter as far as our kingdom, as far as our king. Because we're going to... We should be putting people to silence by doing good. Here's how I was thinking about this. Here's, for example, let's say a godly thing. Something like ending abortion. That is a godly thing to fight because that is substantiated by the Bible that there should not be babies being murdered. But people, pro-abortion people are gonna, can argue against us. And the, probably their best argument is gonna be, are you gonna take care of the unwanted babies? Hey, all the babies who are born because, uh, you made abortion illegal, are you guys gonna take care of them before you're gonna make abortion illegal? They shouldn't have that argument. They shouldn't. Hey, our answer should be, yeah, we are. We're going to take care of those babies. If we're going to say abortion's illegal, yeah, we're going to take care of the babies. That should be our response. And that would put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. People who want to say it's okay to murder babies, they shouldn't have a comeback, and they shouldn't have a legit comeback, yet they do. They do have a legit comeback. Because were there abortions in Peter's day? Yeah, there were. Were babies abandoned in Peter's day? Yeah. There were children sacrificed to false gods. That was somewhat common. I'm not sure that Christians were whining. Here's what history says Christians were doing. They were going into the garbage dump in Jerusalem. Gehenna is what it was called. It's what Jesus compares hell to. They they were going in there and finding the abandoned babies that were just thrown in the dump. And they found them and brought them into their homes and raised them as their own kids. That's what they were doing. Do you think they could have a comeback and say, are you going to take care of the unwanted babies? Right? And see, that's how, yeah, it's do good. Let's be concerned with doing good rather than whining about losing our political influence. That's the point here. There shouldn't be a comeback. We should be doing good. Or what if we're whining about gay rights and marriage and all that stuff and, and the redefining and stuff? Yeah, what's, what's the comeback? Why not? Let's do good instead of whine. What's the comeback? Well, I don't see you guys protesting about pornography. Right? That's a pretty good comeback, isn't it? If we're going to say we're redefining marriage and it's ruining the sanctity of marriage, well, doesn't pornography do a lot more damage to Christian marriages than gay marriage does? That's a pretty good comeback. Hey, we don't protest that so much because statistically most Christians look at porn. I think that's why we don't protest it so much. Right? It's by doing good. We put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. They shouldn't have anything to say because we're doing good. It says in the book of Acts, the early church, no one had anything to say about them. Nothing negative. They were doing good. And not whining about stuff that we shouldn't even really care about. That's not our kingdom. Our kingdom is the heavenly one where Jesus is king. That's what we should be concerned about. Jesus is concerned about taking care of unwanted babies. He is concerned with other things. Okay, in verse 17, I mean, put, puts that together. It speaks for itself, I think. Honor all people. All people you give honor to. Even people we disagree with politically. We love the brotherhood. Right here. We fear God and honor the king. And that's even lowercase king. 
Hey, the one in charge. We give honor to him or her. We don't need to be so worried about the government because we're citizens of Jesus' kingdom. He's king. But we can learn from it. And, and before we move on from this, I, I want to take a minute to, to reflect on this because sometimes it's easier to see physical things than spiritual. Really, probably lots of times. That's why Jesus used so many parables. And one of the purposes of the government is it says, the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. And before we move on from this, let's take a minute and, and just to really solidify in our minds God's law and how we are guilty before that. Because we get civil law. Because people, including Christians, I don't think think God's laws matter all that much. You know, commandments are just suggestions. You know, if we sin, it's okay. God has a plan for you. And we sin so that grace may abound. I think one of the most common things, we don't say it, but you know, it's always okay when we sin because God has unlimited grace. And I'm not saying it's not. I'm just saying like it's not something to be taken lightly. We don't think the laws matter all that much. Now with a civil law, even if we disagree with it, we'll tend to keep the law to avoid punishment. Even if we think the law is wrong, we'll, we'll still follow it to avoid the punishment. And we get that. But what we don't get is God's law, that there is a punishment for breaking God's law. Hey, if we break civil law, we're going to prison. If we break God's law, we're sentenced to hell. See, that, that's how that works. We just don't think God's laws matter all that much. We break civil laws, some of them quite a bit. Like uh, speeding, for example. We'll go speeding and do it all the time until we get busted, until you get pulled over. And then you don't get the excuse of, well, you know, I speed quite a bit. I just usually don't get caught. Right? That doesn't hold up. It doesn't hold up. It's you've been caught. Right? With God's law. We've broken lots of God's laws. And we're going to get busted for it. We're going to stand before the judge. We don't get to say, hey, I was breaking them all my life. I didn't get caught. You knew. You had a conscience. Or the Spirit's conviction. With civil laws, if someone stands before a judge and they get sentenced, and for your crimes, that's five life sentences. You would say, wow, that person did something awful. You wouldn't say the judge is unfair. With God's law, the, the sentence for that is hell. And we say, oh, God's not fair. Hey, that's too harsh. It's because we're not understanding the magnitude of the crime. That's the problem. It was civil law. You've broken civil law. Even if you've done it over and over and finally it catches up to you and you're standing before the judge. You know what, judge? I'm really sorry. I won't do it again. He's not going to let you go. That's not a good judge. You've broken God's law. Lusted. Committed adultery. Lied. Stolen. Coveted. Committed idolatry. You stand before God. God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do it again. That doesn't erase what you've already done. Okay, saying, I'm sorry, I won't do it again, that's not repentance. And we expect the civil government to punish evil and reward good. We expect that. Okay, we don't say, you know, that, that rapist who got let free, that judge was so loving. We don't say that. But we expect that with God. We say, oh, God's a loving God, He'll just let people go. That's not a loving God. Think of, think of the civil law. When, when you're, 
crimes are read before you, you have nothing to stand behind. Yeah, you're guilty. You maybe didn't get caught every time, but you're guilty, and whatever you get is just. Before God, when you stand before God in judgment, it doesn't matter if you don't believe in Him. It doesn't matter if you disagree. He's the judge. And your crimes are read before you, and you have an account. And your punishment is hell. You don't get to say, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. That doesn't erase what you've done. See, that can help us to see what Jesus did for us. Because the only way to get you out of that is to have your punishment paid for. That's what happened on the cross. Is Your punishment was paid for. It's not poof forgiven. We're going to get more into that in a little bit. It was paid for. So it's not an unloving judge saying, you know what, yeah, you're guilty, but whatever, we'll overlook it. No, it's not that. Yeah, you're guilty, but your punishment's already been paid. You're free to go. Eternal life. Right? That's how the gospel works. So the civil government is a blessing. And I know I've probably gone on with it, but to me, that's helpful. Think of the physical. We get that. Hey, and we get so like nebulous and spiritual about when it's breaking God's laws, and we think they don't matter all that much, but they do. That's, that's the source of all the problems. We break God's laws. So that's the government part, and that's, that's a heart check. Which kingdom are you really concerned about? What king are you really worried about? Are you <clears throat> too caught up in this stuff going on here? There's also work. Let's look at verses 18 through 20 about work. <clears throat> Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable, if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. And so Peter's now talking to the people about work, and, and he says servants, which I want to clarify, like every time this comes up, when the Bible speaks of slavery in like the New Testament, it never ever condones slavery as practiced in America with the kidnapping and people selling and trading. That is condemned in the Bible. This is a very different, that's why it's servant. It was many times voluntary and for a limited time. And the most common case was someone said, who didn't have money, said to a wealthy person, I'm going to work for you and they take care of all their needs. They buy their food, give them housing. It was very, very different than slavery in America. So don't think the Bible ever condones that. It does not. It condemns it. What he's saying here, and so the relationship is really a lot like a, an employee-employer today. Not exactly the same, but similar. And what Peter is saying to the workers, to the servants, is be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Hey, just like the civil government, submit to it. Even if it's not good, submit to every ordinance of man. Submit, be submissive to your masters. Not only to the good, but also to the harsh. And here's where the, the hard test is. It's because if you won't submit to authority in front of you, if you only listen to your boss because you like him or her and you agree with him or her, you're not going to listen to a God who you don't see that you believe by faith when he tells you to do things you might disagree with. When he tells you things that you don't like. If you can't listen to someone in front of you, who's to say you're going to be able to do that when it's through faith from God. Because He tells us what's commendable. right? Verse 19. 
This is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. Hey, if you're going through hard times, like this is commendable to God if you're suffering wrongfully. That God does not overlook that. God does not miss that. He sees that and you will be rewarded. It's commendable. That's what that means. If God sees you suffering wrongfully, He sees that. And I think there's a, either John or Charles Wesley, I get them mixed up, said something about how we should, I don't think we do in practice, but in our minds should grab onto suffering with both hands because that's something that's commendable before God. And we'll see why in a minute. And when it's suffering wrongfully, that's what's commendable. If because of conscience toward God, you're enduring grief. But verse 20, what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? You're not getting any brownie points for God because you're getting beaten for being a moron. That doesn't give you any credit with God. If it's for your own mistakes and stupidity, you're getting yourself into trouble. That's not suffering. That's being dumb. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Doing good and suffer and take it patiently. That's commendable before God. So I mean, what he's saying, I mean, very practically, if your master, if your boss is harsh, right, and you're not doing anything wrong and you're suffering, well doing good and taking it patiently, that's commendable before God. So it's what kingdom are you looking for? If you're looking for His kingdom, okay, I'll keep suffering and endure it patiently. It's not because of me. Yeah, I'm, it's because of conscience toward God. And because He's king at work. And, and I think of the parable of the talents. And Jesus tells this with, uh, talents is a unit of money, not, not like skills. People get that confused sometimes. And, but let's put it in sort of modern day terms to, to paraphrase. So the parable of the talents, Jesus talks about a, an employer who gives three of his employees different amounts of money. One person, he gives five million. We'll, we'll just, I'm paraphrasing. He gives five million dollars. The other person gets two million. Third person gets one million. And the employer says, I'm going to go away for a while. You take the money and invest in it. Do what's best. So the, the master comes back, or the, the boss comes back. He says, well, what did you do with my money? The guy who got the five million said, hey, I invested it. I got five million more. Here's ten million dollars. Employer says, oh, you know, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant, it says in the Bible. Go enter into the joy of your master. That guy did good. The guy with two million. Said, hey, I took that two million. I invested it. I got two million more. Here's four million dollars. That guy gets the same reward. He got, he did the same thing. It was less to start with, but he did the same result, doubled it. Hey, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. The guy who got a million. So well, here's your million back. I kept it safe for you. Hey, no one took it. Here's, here's a million dollars. And the employer says, you're a wicked servant. You didn't do anything with what I gave you. And the point is, of that parable is, the guy with the million, that million was given to the guy with ten million. Because the, the employer knew that guy could be trusted with money. If you're not going to be faithful in a little, you won't be faithful in much. If you're not going to suffer while doing good and endure patiently over something like work, you're not going to do that in something greater. See, these are those, those heart checks for us. And the reason why this stuff is so important, and it might be like, yeah, government work, blah, blah, blah. It's going to get really important here in a second. 
They should. Because it's directly connected with Jesus and His work on the cross. Because it shows us the kingdom we're really investing in. It shows us what king we're really honoring. And again, I think of it in, in earthly terms to help understand is, you know, I love my wife, and I say that a lot, and I tell it to her a lot, and uh, I thank God for her a lot, and that's all, you know, that's all good. That sounds really nice if I just say that. Okay, I say it, just like we say Jesus is our king, but let's look. I mean, if I'm, this has been something that, you know, I've been very convicted about lately. Is and I wrote this like a couple weeks ago, and it was already then. It's, it's gotten worse, really. But I was I was praying about this, and and I say that all the time, and I really do think it, and I really do feel it. But actions are louder than words, right? And I mean, I was lying to her. I was lying to her to make myself look better. And is that someone who really loves his wife in action? I, I, she's always at the end of the line. I have a bunch of stuff I need to do, you know, two jobs and, and all that. But it's not just that. It's like my dumb routines that I want to get done every day. I want to get some sort of exercise. I want to read. I want to unwind. And then if I get all that done plus my work, okay, let's hang out. And, and I say, you know, I love my wife, and she smiles, and she's very sweet. And, and it's true, I do. But yeah, if the rubber hits the road and I say that, do my actions back that up? Uh, no, that's what I'm convicted of. I'm not saying I don't love her by any means. I'm saying I do. But like, if you really do, if Jesus is really your king, it's not just going to be something you say. Something in your life is going to back that up. Something that you do is going to back that up. And how you see the government or how you see your work is going to back that up. Because Peter is about now to make a very big jump here that I wouldn't do, but it's in the Bible. And he connects these things to something very, very important. Because I mean, to be, I mean, because to be honest, these aren't like my most exciting things to talk about is government and work. Like, you know, I, I don't, it's not my favorite things to talk about. But this is what makes it so important. What we're going to read here in a minute. And to get us a little more excited, because I want to be a little more excited for this kind of stuff, is that it says here, Jesus is our example in these things. Peter is about to say like some very beautiful descriptions of Jesus and the gospel and what he did for us. And it's directly connected to this stuff about work and government. And I could preach on these next verses like all day long and that would be very exciting for me. But taking it out of context would lose this. He connects it directly to this stuff that I just got done talking about. It's so important. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3-6, through okay, if we're talking about calling ourselves Christians... It says, by this, we know that we know Him. And that's what we claim as Christians. I say, I know Jesus. I don't know about Him. He's not my Facebook friend. I know Him. I have a relationship with Him. If we know Him, we'll keep His commandments, is what it says in 1 John. That's a very easy test for you. If you say you know Jesus, you will keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says that He abides in Him, ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. So that's a good way to tell. Are we really living our lives as Jesus is our King? Do we walk as He walked? That's what Peter's about to say here. So let's go to verse 21. 
He connects it. For to this you were called. Either this we were just talking about, the suffering unjustly, taking it patiently, because of work, because of the civil government, because of the decisions made that are out of our hands. For to this you were called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Because Christ suffered, for walking as He walked, we are going to suffer. We're not going to whine, we're not going to throw fit, we're going to take it patiently, because that is what Jesus did. He is our King. If we are walking as He walked, that's what we do. Verse 22, Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in His mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. See, this is the way we walk as Jesus walked. It says, Jesus committed no sin. Yeah, we, we do that. We sin. We don't try to, but we do. Jesus didn't lie. No deceit was found in his mouth. We lie. We try not to. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. See, we're, we're suffering unjustly sometimes. Sometimes it's our own fault. Sometimes unjustly. When Jesus was reviled, and He's talking about at His crucifixion, when Jesus was slapped, when He was spit on, when He was mocked, when He had a crown of thorns put on His head, which was, by the way, all because we broke God's laws, not Him. And when that was happening, and when He was beaten and whipped, and when He had above His cross the mocking uh, accusation, this is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, that was mocking Him. When He was reviled, that's what that's talking about, He didn't revile in return. He said, the only thing He said was, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And Jesus was reviled on our behalf because of our sin. And He didn't revile in return. And we ought to walk as Jesus walked. It says when He suffered, he did not threaten. And when he was being nailed to the cross and crucified, he wasn't saying, oh, you guys just wait, you're going to get it. And again, it was forgive them. He was being nailed to that cross. They said, save yourself and get down from there. Is what they taunted him with. And he stayed up there so that he could save everyone else. And when he suffered, he did not threaten. But, Here's what he did. He committed himself to him who judges righteously. His father, our father, he trusted him that this was his plan. He was suffering for doing good. Endured it patiently because he trusted himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. He bore our sins. And if we care about that, that should, kind of, that should hit us. Because it's not just, poof, your sins are forgiven. Poof, you get to go free. He bore them. He carried them. God's wrath was poured out on Him instead of me. He bore those sins in His own body on the tree. So that we, having died to sins, right? that's what... When we say we're going to be part of God's kingdom, we die to sin. Our old man, we say, that man is dead. He was crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Him who lives in me. So that we might live for righteousness. 
Not live so that grace may abound and we can keep sinning and doing what we want, but we live for righteousness. By whose stripes you are healed. For you are like sheep going astray. This is one of my favorite verses. You are like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. I don't even know if I really need to explain that. We know sheep are dumb. They need a shepherd. Right? We're going astray. And not just that we're dumb, but that we're wicked and evil. And we do what's wrong and selfish. But He bore those sins in His body on the tree so that we might live for righteousness. We've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. We need someone for that. And we walk as He walked. We ought to. When He was reviled, He didn't revile in return. When He suffered, He didn't threaten. But He committed Himself to Him who judged righteously. And that's why this stuff about government and work, me personally, I don't get super into it. But I do about this. What the Bible says is our behavior and our focus in those things, is it for this earth or for our true citizenship? It's directly connected to the work Jesus did on the cross. The hard part though, and we'll end here, is that even though we're citizens of the heavenly kingdom, we're still waiting for it. We don't live in that kingdom yet. That's why the Bible calls us exiles, sojourners, travelers, pilgrims. We're on our way through. We're waiting. We live in this the time between the times, people call it sometimes. The first coming of Jesus. When He came to forgive us of our sins, to heal us. The second time when He comes back to bring His kingdom fully onto this earth. We're living in the time in between that. We need to remember that. I mean, I was going to go through like the whole Bible in a nutshell, but we're kind of running low on time to go through the whole Bible in a nutshell. But the point was going to be this. I mean, we're at the last, the last step. I don't know if, if Jesus is coming back soon. You know, I don't know that. It looks like it. But this is the last part of salvation. If you follow the whole thing through, all that's left to happen is Jesus to come back, and that can happen at any time. He's already come to deal with sins. He's already given the Holy Spirit. He's already made the church. He's already empowered us and gifted us. Right? That's already done. He's already atoned for the sins of humanity. All that's left is for Him to come back. And see, that's what we should be more worried about than trying to turn this planet into our home. And wanting every certain, like, government regulation to go in our favor. Wanting everything at work to go in our favor. Like, we know Jesus, that's, all that's left to happen is He comes back, and then He's gonna be setting up His kingdom. There's not much left to go. But while we wait, we need to remember where we're heading, thinking future. That's where Peter's trying to point his original readers with his priorities. Jesus didn't revile. He didn't complain about the government that was nailing him to the cross because he didn't care. He said, render to Caesar what's Caesar's. He didn't care about that. The government was way worse then than it is today. He entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. If you're not a Christian, just like I was saying, you know when you're guilty of breaking civil law. That's very clear. You know, even if you got away with it, when you get caught, you're busted. 
When you get sentenced, even if you disagree, you're going to prison. It doesn't matter. You don't get to say you're sorry. You're still going. You break God's law. It doesn't matter if you don't believe in Him or disagree. He's God. Hey, that doesn't hold up when you stand before Him and He judges you. You don't get to say, oh man, I'm so sorry. It's too late. You still did it. There's a penalty for you. There's a sentence for you. And it's hell. Oh, that's harsh. That's not fair. It's because you don't understand the magnitude of the crime. The only way out of that is to accept that Jesus bore those sins on the tree. And you receive that by faith, by denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Him. And then all the charges against you are dismissed. That's what it says. Who's there to condemn? It's Jesus who died. That's what the Bible says. And then you live for righteousness. For those of us who are Christians, we live like Jesus is our King. We live by America's laws because we're Americans, not Canadians. We live by God's laws, by Jesus' commands, because we're Christians. Live like you're a citizen of God's kingdom. Be thinking about that. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, God, I just pray that you would, you would help us tonight to see how important these things are as, as heart checks to know, are, are we really living as citizens of your kingdom or for this kingdom? God, help us to see where we're living entirely for this earth rather than for your kingdom and for your purposes, God. Please forgive us for the laws that we've broken of yours, for every law that we've broken that Jesus bore in his body on the tree so that we can live for righteousness, God. Please forgive us and help us to know we are forgiven if our faith is entirely in you and in your Son. God, empower us by your Holy Spirit to live for your kingdom, to remember where we're going, to remember what's important, to remember how to live for righteousness' sake, God. And we're so thankful that as dumb sheep who are going astray, and we've returned to the shepherd and overseer of our souls. And we thank you that you're so gracious and merciful that you don't hold anything against us. You paid for, you atoned all of our sin, God. And you will be our shepherd and give us guidance. So we thank you. And now we just want to honor you, fear you, obey you, and love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship or call us at 800-357-4226. Don't forget to catch next week's morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship.